0: Before we jump into today's episode, let's give a shout out to our sponsor, Jane, a clinic management software and EMR. Whether you're just starting to do your research or you've been contemplating switching your software for a while now, the Jane team understands that the process can feel intimidating. That's why their goal is to provide you with all the onboarding resources you need to make the switch as soon as possible. Jane offers a personalized call to set up your account, a free data import, and a variety of online resources to get you up and running quickly. And if you ever need a helping hand along the way you'll have access to unlimited phone, email, and chat support included in your Jane subscription. If you're interested in learning more, book a one-on-one demo at Jane.app/switch. And if you decide to make the switch, don't forget to use the code HEAL1MO. That's HEAL1MO at sign up to receive a one-month grace period on your new Jane account.
1: Hello, Happy New Year, and welcome to Interdisciplinary. This week we are playing for you a rerun of one of our favorite episodes. This uh, episode originally aired in November of 2020 and features Cal Cates and Kathy Ryan having a conversation with Hillary and Dana of Be Nourished. We hope that you enjoy and find in it some inspiration for true self-care in the new year. We'll be talking about that in the Heal Well community. Feel free to join us there at community.healwell.org. And we have some awesome Super Secret Scroll bonus content available for Patreons of the podcast at patreon.com slash interdisciplinary. And if you listen to the podcast and you like us, please write us a review. Wherever you listen to the podcast, this really helps us reach you and reach more people. And we appreciate your support. So please enjoy this episode.
2: Uh, As you know, we like to start with a little pun. And uh, so I've got uh, I've been branching out, as you know, um, from our massage puns because they're getting a little dirty. Uh, So. <clears throat> the invisible man calls his doctor's office to make an appointment. The doctor says, I'm sorry. I can't see you right now. Yeah. <laughs> welcome. Oh, my friend. Wow. <laughs> I, I have to tell you, you know, my son and I, we just did another <laughs> nerdy jokes episode and this, this is another one of my favorites. What what happens when you challenge death to a pillow fight? Serious, I ask. serious repercussions
3: are exactly the jokes my husband would love
2: oh so good so good (laughs) I'm like oh if only I could remember jokes Ah. (laughs) we have some new ones
4: (laughs) this is recorded so you can check that's
2: right you can listen in and you can just listen to the beginning yeah (laughs) yeah so super excited to introduce our guests to you today uh the our friends from Be Nourished uh they're gonna tell you all about themselves and how awesome they are. And uh I, I don't even I don't I don't I don't even want to try to say what you guys are gonna say. So tell us who you are and um and how exciting all your work is.
3: Yeah. I guess I can start Hillary. All right. Okay. Um so my name's Dana, Dana Sturdivant and uh Hillary and I have been working together for 15 years. Uh, I am a registered dietitian as my clinical training and background. I'm also extensively trained in motivational interviewing, and I've been describing my work more as helping to humanize healthcare. And Hillary and I uh, met when I was starting to become disillusioned with the dominant weight paradigm. I think we were both actually becoming disillusioned. Um, we didn't know each other at the time, but we were both starting to feel like something wasn't right. I personally was feeling unethical in my work. I was, you know, as a dietitian trained in very weight centric models, thinking that, you know, if people just keep food tracker uh, food records and obsessively track their calories and weigh themselves every day and, and basically perform eating disordered behaviors under the guise of health um, that they would be able to lose weight and keep it off. And after working in research for seven years, seeing these, these six-month weight loss interventions and in air quotes uh, work in air quotes uh, in the short term. And everyone listening probably knows where people's weight was at the two-year follow-up period, right? That people were, their weight was back up and then some I started to think that the intervention was the problem where the researchers I was working with felt like it was the participants not following the protocol. And I started to speak up in, in meetings and say, I just feel like we can trust people's bodies to sort it out. We don't have to focus on weight. We can focus on healing and helping people have better relationships with food in their body and also widen the lens to really acknowledge the the impact people's real lives have on their ability to do things that we think are they're supposed to be doing. Um, And I knew there wasn't going to be a, an organization that was looking to hire somebody to do the work that I was feeling pulled to do, even though I really couldn't have described the work that we're doing today, back then, it's really evolved. And you know, it was in discovering the qualities of a dieting mind that I realized that we were promoting dieting behaviors and calling it healthy lifestyle. Yeah. And it was around that same time when I was starting my private practice that I discovered the health at every size community, which is a growing community of healthcare providers and people, uh, that, are concerned about the health impacts on the war on people's bodies and size and weight and the impacts of pervasive weight stigma on people's health and well-being and their ability to care for themselves in sustainable ways. And so Hillary and I met at a clinic and where we both had our private practices and we started facilitating groups, um, primarily at that time for female identified folks, um, who are looking to have a different relationship with food and their bodies. And that's, it's in groups talking to people and listening to people's stories. And so many of these stories aren't heard that we developed our
2: body trust approach to healing. Wow. <clears throat> All right. Thank you, Hillary. What, what can you add? <laughs> you add a lot.
5: <laughs> yeah, I, I well I, my name's Hillary Kenevy. I'm a therapist. I've been in um, private practice for about Around 20 years now, which is pretty wild. I, um, you know, I think the only thing I can add to that is, you know, it, it became really important to me to to examine the way we work as healthcare providers and understand that, you know, what we're upholding when we continue to go to this behavioral model where we think we can support change behaviors in people, but we don't always fully examine um, where where those suggestions are coming from, what systems and social constructs and, and dominant uh, dominant ideals, those are embedded in and, um, what cogs we can become in that machine of, um, of supporting, you know, these ideas of body hierarchies, you know, like who's, who's doing good, Who's worthy? You know that we uphold this ideal of health. Ideal of health that's probably only going to be experienced by a very few people, and it may not all be dependent on healthcare behaviors. And we know it's not all dependent on healthcare behaviors or um, self so self care behaviors. So, um, so that's been become kind of a wing of our work too, as we do some training with healthcare professionals to help move away from a weight centric paradigm, but also really. Kind of allow us as healthcare professionals to come back to the values that probably brought us into this work in the first place. That our training and other
2: systems kind of get us distanced from. Yeah. Wow. Well, I hope you're prepared to be on with us long enough for like three episodes because um, got <laughs> <laughs> a lot we could talk about. Yeah. Yeah. Definitely. Yeah. Well, as you were talking, um, Hillary, I was thinking about you know when we when we bring students in for our end-of-life training, they, they always come in thinking that they're learning about other people's end-of-life. Right. And, and like halfway through the course, they go, oh, whoops, this is about me. <laughs> and I, I just, I really want to invite our listeners to notice if they're already othering this conversation and to really just like go, oh, I have a body. What are my stories about my body? Because I feel like that's really the that's what leads to behavior change as providers is being aware of we all have these stories and lack of trust and, and things and yeah that's kind of this feels like the starting place
5: yeah a lot of folks who come through our trainings are are very quick to acknowledge that they're doing that because they haven't had adequate place or folks to do that kind of healing work with like reaching finding this paradigm and healthcare providers is still you know it's still emerging and so it's really hard to So we're all kind of in it together.
2: Yeah.
3: Yeah. And a big um, part of this work is doing your own healing work because we're all swimming in the water. We've all been indoctrinated and socialized into these body hierarchies and to really rigid, uh, mechanistic, perfectionistic ways of thinking about the body. Mm -hmm. And so we all have work to do and we we hold an ethic and body trust that we can't help our clients go further than we've gone. Like how do we help somebody heal their body shame if we're sitting in the room and last night we were dieting and 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 engaging in compensatory behaviors like our clients may only be able to get so far when we are ourselves are are struggling and it's really common in this work for people to want it for everybody else. Yeah that you get it and you get it and you get it, but I have a different, my body, I, my health, like I have to lose weight. I have to do these things, Yeah, but you can have it and you should do it because I think it's right for you, but I need to do
2: what I need to do. Right. Yeah. Well, and I think people are really bad. And I see this come out in our end of life class too, that people think they know themselves. And certainly by the time you get to a certain sort of age or whatever it is, you think, well, there's nothing new here, right? Like this is, there's nothing to be opened or accessed or, or shed. Um, This is who I am. And, you know, this part of this work must be a softening to like, oh, turns out there's this whole like spot that I haven't, that I've looked at and I've been like, hey, but I haven't actually like walked in the room and opened the boxes and sort of looked at what's in there. Yeah. So who, who, who comes to you guys? Who do you serve? How do you do what you do?
5: Um, folks come to us who are, live in fat bodies and want a safe place to unpack the experience they've had with um, weight stigma, weight bias, uh, fat phobia. Uh, we see folks who have a history of chronic dieting and disordered eating. Which is a lot of folks, most folks, really, <laughs> yeah. who really want to have you know a kind of deep unpacking of that. Um, we are really about moving the problem focus outside of the body of the people that we are working with. So people come to us not, I think they don't necessarily know, but we aren't offering strategies. Um, you know, we're offering kind of a healing process of yeah. moving into something that feels more liberatory. Uh, more powerful more community oriented uh, more justice oriented and so it's a much different path than what we're typically presented with you know when it comes to like eating concerns I'm putting that in air quotes um, because we're talking about getting freer yeah and so the people that come to see us are brave folks um, who want to really examine this and then even if their body has been a source of feeling um like they they're outside of belonging because of the labels that have been attached to their bodies they still choose a path that doesn't necessarily create more belonging at least in a mainstream way
2: and
4: yep. and that's complex for sure, yeah. I see so many parallels. In terms of what I, you know, my work as a massage therapist and the work that you're doing as well, Mm -hmm. you know, I I too think it's incredibly, takes an incredible amount of courage for a person to come to see me, especially Mm -hmm. a new, a new patient. Um, You're you're essentially giving permission to a stranger uh, to be touching your body, working with your body. And, and certainly over the course of my 30 year career I have worked with a number of people of various sizes mm-hmm. and, and certainly some bring with them their, their own issues around, you know, body sensitivity or, um, you know, sense of uh, relationship with their body mm-hmm. too. So I, I do see those parallels in, in the work that, that we do for sure. And, you know, for me, I, I know I shouldn't be shocked. <laughs> But I continue to be shocked when I have patients come to me um, and we're talking about what I might be able to do to to assist with whatever's going on for them. And then they disclosed to me that uh, they had been to see uh, another healthcare provider who proceeded to to fat shame them, uh, telling them that the reason why you have knee pain is because you need to drop 60 pounds or whatever the case may be. And and I shouldn't be shocked that we have physicians in our community that have a reputation for fat shaming women in particular in our community. But I, <laughs> yeah, I, I continue to be shocked by that.
5: Yeah, I think a lot of what we are doing is repair work with folks who have had uh, their trust and vulnerability violated by folks who take such a fat phobic and expert stance over their, in regards to their body and how that mimics so many systems of power in the culture and how harmful that is.
3: I remember years ago, a, a dietician in town referred her mother to me for some support. And her mother was a physician. And she didn't know much about me when she came to the office, but her daughter and she'd been because her daughter was a dietitian, like, Oh, she can finally help me, you know, solve my quote unquote weight problem. And as her daughter, like tried to do some help, like help her, she was like, mom, you know, I don't, I think there's something here that's like beyond my experience. And I think you might benefit from talking to this dietitian Dana. So her mom trusted her and signed up and came in and we walked we walked into my office and sat down and she welled up in tears mm-hmm. immediately and she said i am in i am i can't believe the sign you have on your front door we have the sign that says you are entering a weight inclusive zone you are free from weight stigma narrow beauty standards, racist beauty standards, health-splaining, diet talk. And it was the first time she'd ever seen something like this and the exhale that allowed for her and the freedom. I, I think more than anything I did in that session or did in my work with her, that was a powerful moment for her to walk into a space and to be able to exhale and say, I don't have to worry that somebody's gonna say, you know, usually with my clients we do this, but for you, there's a different set of rules for you, right? And she felt so safe and so freeing, freed by this. And I it was probably more impactful than anything else I said or did. Yeah.
0: We'll be right back. Do you want to change the world? So do we. Join Healwell this September in Arlington, Virginia when we host the event to remember. There will be classes and conversations. There will be old friends and new ones. And yes, there will be dancing. Come to Healwell Homecoming and let's keep this ball rolling.
2: In this session, I just came from in this um, advanced illness transformation conference. They were uh, there were a couple of advocates talking exactly about this that it doesn't it's not good enough that in your heart this is your goal. You really have to advertise because when people who don't look the way you're supposed to look go for healthcare, regardless of what what the thing is that makes them not fit, they're holding their breath. And if you see signage, if you see forms that have the the lines like the questions are things that don't make you feel shame you go oh okay like I I can be vulnerable enough to share what needs to be shared for me to get good care and I don't have to wait for this I feel like this environment invites me to be myself and you can't get good care if you're not able to be yourself that's right and we
5: as healthcare providers I wish there was a stronger ethic around making what we believe public yeah. Whatever
2: is. yeah. Because it would improve care so much. Definitely. Yeah. I loved the, and I think this is so important, certainly as massage therapists that, um, in your manifesto, uh, that one of the items is you are not required to pursue health, to be deemed worthy of love, respect, and belonging. And I, I mean, I noticed in myself, oh, right. Like we're actively in our house right now, re reassessing our workout philosophy, because we've both been kind of stupid worker outers, and we've just come to this place where we're like, huh, this feels like self-aggression. Let's like figure out what is a useful way to feel how I want to feel, Mm -hmm. and that it's not so much about looking how I want to look and that kind of stuff, and so when I read that, I mean, I thought, gosh, yeah, that's really, and I think when people in, to use your phrase, and I want to ask about this, fat bodies come into our practices, I think we do kind of go, Oh, well, I'm, I'm taking better care of you than you are, you know? And, and there's that sense of like, I think massage therapists really are sort of health conscious, whatever kind of baggage loaded term that is. And when a person comes in and, and quote, looks unhealthy, it it sets up a, an unhealthy dynamic and we don't even know we're doing it, I think. Yeah.
3: Yeah, it's like that Marilyn Marilyn Juan quote that says the only thing you can tell by looking at a fat person is the degree to which you um have have fat phobia. I can't, I don't remember the yeah. end of it, but like it's <laughs> the degree to which you've internalized these narrow these standards. Yeah. Yeah. And the assumptions we make about people's bodies and their health based on size. And we, you know, we say nobody wins when we see a healthy body only as a thin one. Yeah, Because there's all kinds of people who get, do not get diagnosed because of weight-based medicine. People miss diagnoses of diabetes and sleep apnea, um, all kinds of things because of weight-centric models of care. Um, so yeah, it's, and then to not to mention that, no very few researchers are looking at the impacts of weight stigma on these things we blame on high body weight so like poor outcomes associated with higher body weight pregnancies nobody's looking at the impact of these larger body people carrying babies and that the impact of the pervasive weight stigma that they experience every time they go to the doctor and how that is impact has negative health impacts On the pregnancy and the outcomes of that birth, but nobody even looks at the data through that lens. So they just blame it on the weight. And we could name, you know, you know, a handful of other um, uh, disease processes and diagnoses that are we we don't see the impacts of weight stigma on blood pressure, cholesterol, all of these things.
2: It feels like I mean, like the weathering hypothesis should be applied here also. I mean, I feel stupid that it never occurred to me, but you can't hide your size just like you can't hide your skin color. And I'm sure that the minute you leave the house, if your body doesn't fit the standards, you're like anticipating things that are, yeah, exactly having long-term health effects. Yeah, Yeah, that's hypervigilance.
5: And then I loved what you were saying about your workouts, you know, analyzing that because you use the word self-aggression. And I think it's also this like, you know, we keep um, prescribing self surveillance, you know, as like a prescriptive method, which just to keep supporting this hypervigilance yeah. and this sense that I'm not quite there. I don't quite belong. I'm, I, I'm not quite getting it right. And there's a place that I should be. Yeah. Right. You know?
2: Yeah. And yeah. You've gotten there. You think about how hard it was to get there. And then you feel like you're just up on this cliff and you're like, if I stop one of these things, then this thing that I got doesn't last and yeah. Yeah. Now, do you see across um, ethnicities, race, cultures, I, I imagine that I know that there are different sort of ideals but are they similarly narrow? Do you understand? Like, I mean, like I'm thinking about, my partner tells this funny, not funny story about when she went to Puerto Rico and she is a small person, she's five feet tall and she had on a bikini and she said, she felt like the women were looking at her with pity and the men weren't looking at her at all. And that the other women on the beach were much larger than she was, and that seemed to be the ideal. And I, I wonder, you know, if that's the ideal, is, it, is that ideal still a narrow path? Uh, or what do you see across races and cultures?
5: I mean, I think all ideals are rooted in, in white dominance to some degree uh regardless of whether it's about size and shape or we're talking about color or hair type or whatever you know like it's all rooted in white dominance we even see that in like um trans health care you know where it's like the the standard of health is still baited based on like a, a white straight guy yeah. you know and so um I think there can be a big, there can be variances across culture, but I I imagine, and this is where, you know, my own positionality is creates, you know, awareness that I don't know much um, as a white woman. Um, But uh, I think that they all are pigeonholing folks into a place where they're not enough. I often wonder and I, I think we don't know enough yet, but I often wonder why, why um, I often wonder why we aren't angrier that we've been prescribed attractiveness, you know, like that we've been told who to find attractive, right? Um, regardless of like what community you may be in, and and dating within and finding love within, that that's been prescribed. And I think about even in my own life how many people have missed out on you know, based on how many experiences I've missed out on based on this prescription or this idea of what, um, what's the right person for me or what would be successful or what would elevate status or whatever. Um, And so I think about that, you know, in, in relationship to your question a little bit too, because we should be super pissed off about that. Yeah. Yeah, definitely.
2: We're too busy chasing it to be mad about it. Exactly. (laughs) It's a Powerful
5: sedative indeed.
2: Well, I was listening to a um, Sony Renee Taylor did a, a podcast with uh, Brene Brown. Yes. And and it was really funny to watch Brene Brown, like sort of get it real time. And mm-hmm. she said, well, so we have to stop climbing the ladder. Right. And, and Sonya Renee Taylor said, no, that is the ladder. Like there, if we stop believing in it, the ladder goes away. Yes. But how do we stop believing in it? Because it is so baked in. And mm-hmm. I mean, you will, you will, you'll deny it because you really think it's untrue. <laughs> and, you know, peeling away the layers of like, oh, yeah, it turns out I don't like my body, whatever it looks like. And then, right. you know, none of us will ever sort of meet that place. No, yeah, there's a lot that we reckon
3: with in doing this work. I bet. Is, um, The more we do this work, we've settled on kind of this narrative arc of our work, which is like understanding how um, this gets disrupted, right? How there's a rupture that happens. We don't, we're not born into this world feeling these ways about our bodies. Mm-hmm. It's because we're socialized into these hierarchical structures and the culture of dominance. And so understanding how we lost trust with our bodies and how um, embodiment was disrupted is, is part of when people start to shift their, inter- like the, anger that's been internally oriented and like I'm the problem and my I'm you know versus like this is super fucked and like right. this world is so messed up exactly and like I have been duped and I have been harmed by people yeah adults often adults in my life who didn't know yeah. any different right and then after understanding how we lose trust then there's this all this stuff that we're reckoning with the fact that we have been duped to the fact that it's Probably not going to be different next time. That yeah. there isn't a plan or program out there that works. Yeah, that our bodies are comfortable where they're comfortable, and the more we resist where they want to be, the more harm we do to ourselves, and often others around us who are watching us doing this hustle. Yeah. And you know, I think when people first are exposed to this work, they hear truth, and it resonates deeply. And and like I, I what you said before like I was you said Cal like I was on your website and I just didn't want to leave and this is what we hear like people like they're drawn to it they hear truth there's something that deeply resonates and they're terrified yeah and they're not ready
1: right. and it's
3: like so I'll bookmark you and I'm going to come back and I'm going to sign right. up for your newsletter And then I'm going to wait two years and I'm going to try to diet I'm going to fill my freezer with Jenny Craig food and try it one more time and then eventually people are like, I can't do this anymore. I just, it doesn't work for me. Yeah. And it doesn't work for you because it doesn't work. That's not your fault. There's right. nothing wrong with you. It's actually a sign of health, right? That it doesn't that work. For work. You. Yeah. That you can't tolerate food restriction that you can't tolerate dietary restraint. That is a sign of health. That is your body saying, I want to live. Yes. But you can't restrict and restrain your food in the ways the culture has told you are the right way.
2: Well, and I feel like this, there was something, there's so many things about your website that are so great. Um, But one of the things I really loved was the um, making the invisible visible and making your pain public. Um, I just, I wrote a blog earlier this week because a friend of mine over the weekend was telling me about this 13 year old who is uh, the daughter of some friends of theirs who has come out as gender fluid, which, it never occurred to me to actually come out as gender fluid, so I was like, "Oh, wow!" Like in some ways, maybe I do wish I was 13 now. But they were saying that um, the school system has been really supportive, and this person's parents are very supportive, and uh, you know, kids are using the new name and and this person's new pronouns. And and my friends said that they're the parents of this person are really um, the she made a suicide attempt after all of this quote positive stuff had happened and. Mm-hmm. And so I was talking about how when you feel like a freak, it doesn't matter if if like there are uh, accommodations made for you and where people like sort of see you. And I sort of said like, you can get my pronouns right. You can make every bathroom in the world welcome me into any stall. But if you keep hiding other people, I'm still gonna feel kind of alone. And And like the more we can all just go, yep, I have body shame. Mm -hmm. I'm a skinny athletic dude. And I have all kinds of stories about my body that, you know, I would probably pass as acceptable in the model. And I spend probably just as much time freaking out about how my body looks as other people who are more obviously unacceptable. Mm -hmm. But because I can pass, I don't, you know, but people think, oh, it's great over there. And I feel like we could all, whatever our quote difference is, make leaps and bounds. If we each were like, oh, yep, I'm a freak too. This is my thing, this is my thing. And you're not alone in there. Mm-hmm. And Why does it have to be so terrifying when you see an opportunity to meet yourself, which is, I mean, your website is like this beautiful soft mirror. That's mm-hmm. like, no, no, come in, it's okay. <laughs> we will make a space that whatever comes up, there's room for it. And the world is so opposite of that, that Mm -hmm. it magnifies the shame and and the things that make us keep going and getting our frozen dinners or whatever it is that we think is going to be the solution. Mm -hmm.
3: Yeah. Something that's emerged from Neva Peron's research on embodiment and what disrupts embodiment is how membership and equitable community is a big part of um, coming home. Like, you know, when, when a black person goes away to an HBC, uh, what, uh, it's eluding me, but it yeah. goes away to like yeah, the uh, Howard university and ta Coates writes about this in between the world and me, he, when he saw every iteration of the black body and celebration on that campus, yeah. he could, his shoulders could drop and he could breathe more easily. Or when you watch, um, um, shrill in the poop, the pool party in the episode of shrill, many fat people have had an experience of going to a fat babe pool party and like seeing every iteration of the fat body celebrated and people just standing around unapologetically and like, wow, like I could do this. And there's something about being in a community. Some of our body trust providers, when they come to Our kickoff retreat say it's the first time I've eaten with people where I didn't have to like apologize and worry that I, that I could eat, I could eat what I wanted and I didn't have to eat what I didn't want and I didn't worry about it because I was in a community that was focused on equity Um, and that is key that we, that we really stretch, you know, that we come into communities that are doing this work because we can feel so weird and so alone. And most people, when you start to, if this is new to you and you start sharing it with people, most people don't get it. It's like, you're speaking Spanish to somebody who speaks English. They don't like They're like I speak diet culture. What are you talking about? Like, you just
2: need to talk louder. I
3: don't know what you're,
2: yeah. Yeah. <laughs> and And so
3: it's like there's no place for it to go in and so we need to find a community of people to help us especially when this is new because people are going to gaslight the shit out of you Yeah, that's never going to work and you're doing what and why would you do that and so we tell people like sometimes you don't share it with people you protect it because the seeds are so fragile and you know someone just says that's not going to work and they you know they blow them out and you know so finding people who do get it and so as you strengthen your own voice and your own commitment and your own understanding that when people do push back you can say hey wait like no like there's a growing community of people who are doing this and i know you think i'm drinking the kool-aid right but rest assured you're drinking the kool-aid yeah this is the truth it's the representation
4: piece and we touched on that in the last episode with uh, kemi belogan about representation you know cer- certainly we can see all kinds of examples in the entertainment industry and media where typically speaking the fat person is the funny sidekick in any given movie or television program and then more recently perhaps we've seen individuals who are the lead character you know um, and and a person you know not just this funny sidekick that that gets the laughs or whatever the case may be. So I think part of that representation piece is so important. Um, I was a fat kid. I was a fat teenager. I was a fat young adult. And for me, you know, when, when I started to uh, consider making a change, uh, part of the, um, uh, you know, the impetus for me probably start out as vanity (laughs) Um, and for whatever reason, very quickly for me came, came about, caring for myself and caring for my body. I was an athlete as a kid, and I was an overweight athlete. And I did pretty good as an overweight athlete. Uh, you know. So, But it, there was a transition for me that happened um, about caring for my body and loving my body and not being ashamed of my body. Um, and that, for me, was a real key in making some changes about how I feed myself and why I feed myself. And and not dieting, because I, you know, I for however I, you know, many people that I listened to and talked to and took a holistic nutrition course, in my in my twenties, and so for me it became about caring for myself, and that was the key for me, about changing my relationship with my body, um, and that has what has sustained me over my lifetime as well. Mm-hmm.
3: Yeah, it's, um, I think, you know, when we help people heal, um, we often say, like, it's hard to take care of something you don't like. And when we help people heal, oftentimes the way they care for themselves um, changes and not all people lose weight as a result of those behaviors that, that, that a fat body, uh, somebody in a fat body may be taking maybe eating the same way you're eating, maybe exercising the same way you're eating, and they're still going to be in a fat body. Um, and they may care about their bodies and they may love their bodies and they're still fat. And so it just feels important to name that, that, um, that, that that it's not a sign that people don't love themselves or aren't caring for themselves if that if they're in a certain size body over others um and i don't know if we need to talk about terminology if it would be good like i think it would be good i've mentioned you know we've mentioned the word yeah. fat, and i know people are going to have a visceral reaction to this word and we haven't kind of explained why we use that word and not the o words
2: our our baseline goal is to make our listeners uncomfortable so let's do it
3: (laughs) hillary do you want to talk about the o words and why we use the?
5: sure yeah we um you know the word fat is rooted in you know the fat acceptance movement has worked really hard to reclaim this word and, and it's essential neutrality um you know just like um short and tall or something you know because fat has been imbued with all these kind of like cultural ideas about how it's problematic or wrong when essentially it's a descriptor just like any other word we use to describe our bodies so that's that's the essence of why that word has gone through this reclamation process um and why we use it because that is the word that um folks in our lives are prefer to use it's the word i use to describe my body you know so it's um it's just, it's, it's the best word to use. And a lot of people are coming, are new to this idea. They're coming into it. And um, so we, but we still tend to not use the words overweight or obese, what we call the O words. And for the simple fact that those words are rooted in um, weight stigmat like the weight, the dominant weight paradigm and weight stigmatizing science. And in the BMI, which we know is BS and uh, <laughs> right. is not helpful in any way. And so those that's where those words come from. So we tend not to use them at all. Um, particularly with overweight, we're saying like over what weight? You know, like what weight is the right weight, right? Um, sometimes when folks are kind of on the path to reclaiming fat, they'll use words like, or if they're not sure that the clientele they're working with is open to hearing the word fat, uh, we might use people uh, on the higher end of the weight spectrum, on the lower end of the weight spectrum, you know, in terms of a bell curve, uh, we might say people in larger bodies, people in smaller bodies, that kind of stuff, but it's still kind of inaccurate because it's like larger than what, smaller than what, you know, but it's kind of the best we yeah. at
2: Yeah
5: as a stepping stone on the way. So that's why we use the language we're using, which is very different than what is um, typically heard or used in the world.
2: Well, it leads me to one of the, one of the questions I wanted to ask you, cause you talk on your website about the unlearning process, which we talk about in our oncology massage and, and end of life classes all the time. Like you're, you're not gonna learn anything new. You're gonna unlearn stuff that has been unhelpful to you. And yeah. when I think about, when people I love call themselves fat, it's not a, it's not neutral. And I bristle. And I say, don't talk about yourself like that. Don't talk about the person I love like that. And Mm -hmm. I feel like there is probably a good bit of internal work to be done to feel fat as a neutral word. Yeah. It's a, it's a journey for sure. Yeah. Um, So can you talk a little bit about like, how do your clients unlearn those hooks between shame and value and weight and health and and how that like affects their overall health as they unlearn like as you i mean I, I sort of picture it like that terrible show i can't even remember what it was called but where the people come on and they're they lose weight over the course of the show oh the biggest loser oh good lord and usually somewhere toward the end they make them put these weight vests back on so they can feel how they used to weigh mm-hmm. and i sort of feel like as you unlearn you're taking off these vests not even of the shape of your body, but of like the shame and the baggage and the, do you see people's sense of health or just being themselves improve as they unlearn? And what does that look like? Yes. <laughs> Excellent. Yeah.
3: yeah. The only time we're succinct. <laughs> yes. um, I, I I find myself thinking about this, this person that was in one of our groups that was a 70. She was in her 70s. And she was a 50 year Weight Watcher. Uh, She'd gone to Weight Watchers for 50 years and, and had the experience of what most people in Weight Watchers experience, which is when I'm doing Weight Watchers, my weight goes down. And when I'm not going, I'm my weight goes back up. And that's, that's because that's how Weight Watchers works. That's, you know, they depend on you when it doesn't work blaming yourself. So you come back for more Um, even though there's no long-term data to support their their plan. So this this person ends up in our group and she's getting ready to go to her first doctor um, appointment. And the group like prepares her to like push back against being weighed. You don't, you know, our most popular blog on our website is you have the right to refuse to be weighed. Um, and be like, a lot of people don't realize that you can, you can refuse any medical care. Yeah. You don't have to do anything they tell you to do. Right. Honestly, like it's, it's your body. And part of this work is body sovereignty. Um, but this, so we, we had letters, she had articles, she was all ready to share and she goes in and she refuses to be weighed. And the MA is like, okay. And so she goes into the room and she's waiting for a doctor and she's like, oh, the doctor's probably going to be mad at me. And the doctor opens the door and says, hey, how you doing? Your blood pressure is down 20 points. What are you doing? And she said, well, I stopped dieting. And they were like, oh, like, we'll keep doing that. Like, (laughs) go diet, you know?
2: Wait, so joy is what's happening?
3: (laughs) Like, there was so much stress and pressure from Weight Watchers that this, her, her, blood pressure dropped when she wasn't hypervigilant when she wasn't stewing yeah. stu- in shame and guilt and self-blame and obsessively weighing and monitoring
2: um,
3: and there is a real weight that is lifted it's if it, there's a freedom that comes like people do feel lighter i think when they explore this uh, just you know regardless of body changes there's something that is lifted from us when we realize um that we've been duped that 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 it's not our fault like it's not like the things we say it's not your fault and you're not broken are the two things we repeat and repeat and repeat to people I don't know what Hillary has to add to that I was just thinking you know we we have worked to define kind of the phases
5: of how people heal um in body trust or using body trust and what we've noticed is most folks come in not really sure how to go forward, but definitely not wanting to go backwards anymore. So in that kind of undefined space of like, I'm not sure I like this, but I definitely am not doing that anymore. Um, And we really support people in doing a really heady exploration of this paradigm. So people read all the things and listen to all the podcasts and do that for a while. And instead of calling that un- unembodied somehow, we've just decided it's a, it's absolutely essential because it's how many people do learn. Um, and then people end up doing a couple different things. We, we really encourage people to dissect their body stories a bit and begin to understand how they're coping So, however that manifested with food and body was rooted in a tremendous amount of wisdom. It was part of survival and there's been nothing necessarily wrong with it um but really understanding like how um how they learned their body was a problem and how it became difficult to live in their bodies their unique body story based on their positionality and the culture um is really important and really understanding what's happening and then we you know people start to choose different pathways but the other thing folks really have to do is grieve we notice. In this work, grieve what didn't work, grieve what didn't happen, grieve the ideal, grieve grieve the time lost, forgive self, all the things they didn't know, all the things they were not supported in, the way they've been stigmatized and hurt, and you know this process kind of moving all together tends to deepen the roots of a body trust practice. They tend to find ways to tell their stories and move towards equitable community after they've had some time to really work these ideas. Um, and that's that's what the process kind of looks like. But it's it's one, like everything that's real, it doesn't have a beginning and an end that's clearly defined and it keeps changing. You know, So we're talking about how do we develop a relationship with yourself and your body that you wanna be in for a lifetime. And, and knowing that our bodies are gonna to continue to change that they're going to be impacted, that they may not be well every moment and we still want to be in in relationship with them, which sounds a lot like the work that you do. And um, and like, how do we, how do we keep hanging in there with them as they are, instead of in the idea of what they need to be.
2: Now, are you guys aware of any, I mean, you sort of hinted at it, Dana, and I, I'm, I'm guessing the answer is no, because nobody's thought to do research this way. But you know, so many people like we talked about in the beginning, um, and Hillary, you've written about um, PCOS and how you would go in for something else. And the physician, ultimately, the conversation would lead to like, let's talk about your weight. And um, so I've had clients over the years who have had various surgeries, like the gastric sleeve and bypass and things, because their physicians have ultimately said like, you know, your knee pain, your whatever it might be, will go away if you don't weigh this much. And I'm wondering about if there's any research about comorbidities going away after weight loss, um, if they go away because of dietary changes or if they go away because of lost weight. And, And I feel like this is like you might wind up losing weight, but it seems to me that the biggest benefit would actually be that you are now eating differently and just even having not even eating better, but just having a different relationship with eating.
3: Yeah. Or like when people lose weight, they experience less weight stigma.
2: Right. And so then maybe they leave the house
3: without this hypervigilance that's impacting their health. Right. So Hillary's often, Hillary's the one that coined this term is like the research community has a, has a crisis of imagination. (laughs) Like we can't even look at the data and understand this. We just make, we just, it's the weight, you know? Right. And yeah, it, it can't just be the physical activity or, or the, the changes in dietary habits. Right. Right. Or like, nobody's thinking about like maybe people's blood pressure drops because, and their blood sugar improves because people aren't assholes to them. I was going to
2: say, right. When people are nice to you, it, it affects your whole internal environment.
3: <laughs> and, and Rebecca Poole in the, at, at the Yale I don't know that it's called the I think it's called the Rudd Center now. Yeah. Um, You know, she she has investigated um, weight stigma uh, and has found that when you control for the different variables, it, it appears that it's the impact of weight stigma. That is causing the high blood pressure, the high blood sugars, the things we blame on weight are actually a result. Of weightism, yeah, right. Like we know the impacts that racism. Well, some of us know. Some of us yeah. acknowledge <laughs> the impacts of weight racism it on is. health. Yes, and like, why do do black people giving birth have have poor birth outcomes? It's because right. of racism and the weathering. Yes, and the medical system that's rooted in white supremacy. Yeah, um, and you know we don't acknowledge the social determinants of health. You know, we live in a culture that that believes, healthism would have us believe that 95% of what happens to you in your health is because of your lifestyle. When the truth is that only five to 25% of the differences we see in health outcomes are attributed to lifestyle. And the majority of the differences we see in health outcomes is a result of those social determinants of health, poverty, oppression, Um, exposure to toxins, uh, socioeconomic status, uh, race, uh, gender, all of these things that, that impact people's health far more than, you know, diet. And there's actually, as a dietitian, you know, when I was in school, everyone was touting off the Mediterranean diet and it's like the healthiest diet. Well, they've done research and it was a huge study. something like 18,000 participants or something and found that if you aren't middle or upper middle class, the, the Mediterranean diet has no impact on your health. So you can eat a Mediterranean diet and live in poverty and it doesn't matter. Yeah. But the way your doctor talks to you, yeah, would make you think like you can live in poverty. you just need to eat your fruits and veggies veggies, and then it'll all
2: go away right. right. Well, and
4: as a massage therapy educator, one of the conversations I recall having with students at at one point in time about weight if if weight alone is the determinant, why aren't these conversations happening with big, bulky, muscular mm-hmm. athletes? because if we're talking about weight simply you know the amount you know attach a number to it or whatever on a frame does the body really discern the difference between what is creating that weight so why aren't these things being thrown at bodybuilders or weightlifters or huge football players for example which was, you know, one of the conversations I would have with massage therapy students. As an educator, one of the questions I commonly got in massage therapy class was, is it harder to work on, and insert one of the O words, because that was what was usually used, used in class, is it harder to work on people who are O word? And I, and my question, you know, I would always return a question back to the students, and I would say, why would it be you know use your critical thinking think about how massage therapy works what would be different between me touching someone who is you know the societal sort of coveted and someone who is not you know explain to me like neurologically or whatever how that would be different mm-hmm.
2: yeah, well, yeah. So and probably I not enough, huh?
5: say that again That's probably not, that conversation probably isn't going that way very often in in educational settings, unfortunately. Yeah.
2: Well, and I think, you know, I've told the story to many a classroom about one of the first fat people that I massaged as a little person, by comparison, I felt like, well, I have to push hard for this person to sort of feel this, and I don't really work deeply, but the feedback I got was that the massage hurt. And of course, unfortunately, they didn't tell me until after the massage, but I went, oh, God, I can't believe I did that. Like, I thought that was how I was providing a client-centered session, right? Was like, I'm seeing this thing and there's tissue here that I want to make sure that I get through the layers. And I mean, it was maybe my first or second year. So hopefully I wouldn't do that now just because I know how the body works a little better, but it was clearly just my assumption of what this body needed. And I just think it's so easy to do that. And we have to be like willing to say to each other, oh, you will not believe this stupid thing I did. We do. We do have to, you know, again, make that public.
5: And also we have to source stories. Yeah. we don't get to hear um, fat folks talk about their experience with massage therapy and what they like. You know what I mean? Like, there's just not a place where we normalize their experience or source their wisdom. And so it is this guesswork, like, this is what I know about, this is what I've been taught about your body. So this is what I'm offering you.
3: Yeah. Yeah, And so much medical training lacks experiences with, uh, fat bodies. Like you, they fat people can't donate their bodies to science, so they can't be cadavers. Um, people don't learn how to do surgeries on fat bodies they don't learn you know but oh but they can cut you open they can do a surgery if it's weight loss surgery it's a safe surgery if it's weight loss surgery but knee surgery you have to lose lose all this weight but we can cut you open and it's safe yeah if you agree to bypass surgery but otherwise surgeries are really unhealthy for you and so so much of it is because people don't get the adequate training yeah to to know how to do these if 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 in massage labs fat bodies were part of the training yeah and people came in and you just worked on bodies of all sizes but because of stigma those those people likely won't show up they're less likely to show up for massage yeah like then we don't have this these experiences but but like we know that foot these these football players that that are getting knee replacement surgeries and hip replacement surgeries, but then my client here in Portland can't get one, but yeah. the football player can,
4: and they're not being told to drop 30 pounds of muscle mass before they come in for their no. knee replacement.
3: Oh, no!
5: And it's dangerous. I mean, trans folks are being withheld, you know, life saving, gender affirming surgeries because of these standards, too. Um, and we are. You know this is unethical care this is unethical practice
3: my heart's pounding i'm like i know <laughs> i know I'm a little warmer i'm a little warmer yeah. I, I do have well, a not to not to i just have to say one more thing like Please. encouraging someone to suppress their weight and 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 not give their body what they need prior to surgery makes them malnourished yeah. And increases the likelihood of a poor outcome due to malnutrition because of the weight loss that is being upheld by the physician and the surgeon. And, and additional data. stress
0: yes. yeah. before and surgery. data
3: to show this. Like there's, yeah. if we look for the data and we become critical viewers of the
2: data, the data is there. Yeah. yeah. Have you guys worked with people who have had gastric bypass or gastric sleeves and sort of like then- they come to you and they're like oh okay here i am i've tried everything i mean really everything um i don't know what my question is i guess i'm curious about how or if that changes the process or if it's i mean sort of in this journey it's like another type of weight watchers and you just sort of i mean it's yeah yeah i think the skills that we work on
5: you know the self the the trauma work the you know the um the identity work the reclamation work the healing work is is the same um you know some of the embodiment can be different but not but it doesn't matter right whatever someone's access to their embodiment is is what it is and it doesn't matter right you know the hunger work can look different those kinds of things sometimes but not significantly so um i think you know we're sitting with it's the the grief work can be also big. It it is for everyone around like, you know, I've done all of this in the name of this thing and I've been walked into it by so many people I was supposed to be able to trust. And um, they put my thinness above everything else uh, and, and valued it more highly than anything else to walk me down this path. And so reckoning with that betrayal, that grief can be big for some people. Not everyone feels that way, of course, um, but that can be a big component of it. I think um, I think a lot of people that have had surgery end up feeling duped a bit, yeah. you know, because they they really are most often, um, you know, talking to people at work at the surgery center, talking to people that are less than two years out from surgery and aren't necessarily getting the whole picture of what surgery is at five years out and ten years out when we're seeing the most weight regain. Uh, for most people somewhere between two and 10 years and there's no good data surgery centers collect their own data yeah. in the United States and that's okay. based on who returns you know
2: so and um, it's not qualitative I mean yeah yeah, yeah. 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 we don't and want the Hillary's yeah. <laughs> <laughs> they're too revealing mm-hmm. yeah
3: well and Hillary I don't know in your intro I don't think you mentioned that a lot of what drew you into this work and where you started to to really develop a language was your work with those, the support group that you did.
5: Yeah, it's true. When it first started there, were you know, it was right. When I first started, it was right when surgery was becoming more popular, it was more accessible. People could pay cash for it. The, you know, people, there were surgery centers popping up and it was just at a time when I started to announce my practice and somehow we got, I got connected and the the people there were dying for process group. Because process was a group at the surgeon centers was like, what pro, you know, what protein powder are you using or whatever? Um, and so I formed two groups that met for years. And that's really where I did most of my learning was sitting in those circles and listening.
2: Yeah. Um we have to let you guys go at some point, but I do have one more question. Do you guys what what's your opinion? What do you know about? How do you talk about um this maybe myth of like the, the set weight or whatever you would call it, that like your body has a place it wants to be. And for most of us, that's not the part, that's not the, the place that's in catalogs. And how, I mean, is part of your process learning? Like where does your body just feel nourished and like appreciated and how do you find that? Or is that a myth? And I think there's a great, there's a great YouTube video
3: called Poodle Science that you can watch a little bit if you wanted to link it in the show notes. Awesome. Um, that Deb, Deb Burgard talks a little bit about, about size diversity and set point, like how bodies are supposed to be different. And I think it touches on set point a little bit. Um, I when mean, we talk about, I wouldn't say we like probably use the word set point in our work. I don't think we use that language specifically, but we, Talk about how bodies are comfortable. Bodies have, you know, are genetically predisposed to be in a in a certain range, and a lot of people are suppressing their weight, like a weight suppressed body, who can main, who is maintaining a smaller size, is not the same as somebody who is uh, naturally that size, mm-hmm. right? And the more people try to suppress their weight below what it wants to be, the more likely we are to rebound and and that set point range will shift and change over time. So what it was when people started dieting is different than where where their body's gonna be after 20 years of weight cycling and dieting. Um, And bodies tend to settle over time. It's not usually in the first uh, it's definitely not in the first few months. And it's just it might take a year or more for people's bodies to figure out where they want to be. And it's often concern about weight and what's in and, and the changes that are happening in weight in this healing process that can derail people. Um, and so we're, um, we know weight is going to come up in this culture, you, you know, we tell you the minute you turn off this podcast, you're going to turn the radio on and hear some you know, crappy message, <laughs> or God forbid, on your website, there's those ads that just happen to oh, sneak right. in, or you know, like they just sneak in these places. But you um, will get reinforcement for things that are um, for for not doing this, and so um, oh no, I lost my train of thought. Um, but that uh, you know. As as we work towards cons, I like to say like the body likes consistency and predictability, and and if you if you stick with it and work through these phases that Hillary described, your body will figure out where it's comfortable. And bodies aren't meant to be static, you know. Yeah, that's something we don't talk about enough in our culture, right. is that bodies change. Like health exists on a continuum from the moment you're conceived in the womb until the time you die. And it, and it moves across this continuum. And if, if we talked about bodies changing and they get sick and they get better, and sometimes they're chronically ill and there's no magic pill and there's no magic diet that's ever going to make someone not have some of these conditions. Yeah. Um, like I think if we talked about the reality of living in these bodies and here we are in COVID where people are so worried about co- the COVID I'm like your biggest accomplishment in COVID is not getting through without gaining weight. Yeah. yeah. God.
1: Mm-hmm. In right. the
3: shit show that is 2020, give me yeah. a break. Yeah. That's our defi- definition of success is I maintained my weight. Yeah. Don't sign me up.
2: That's right. <laughs> Sorry to hear
4: it. <laughs> Can I, can I just be alive on the other side of this? That's right.
3: Yes, yes. and bodies are going to change. You know that's that's what happens, and it there's yeah. Anyway, I'm going to stop my rant. I'm I
2: there's
4: am so much more. I resemble that remark.
2: <laughs> A lot of great thing that needs to happen. I think. Yeah. Um, Kathy, any uh, any questions you've been dying to ask?
4: No, you know, I, I I think those really important points for all of us to really consider um, have been have been touched on. I think there's always more to learn. And you know, I am definitely a believer that um, as long as I'm alive, I'm changing and learning um, and I'll make mistakes and learn from those. and yeah,
3: yeah, we're constantly evolving and I hope and changing yeah yes. i hope totally. because
4: not not evolving is kind of means the the other for me yeah. <laughs> <laughs>
3: exactly.
2: yeah well and i i really want to encourage all of our listeners i feel like one of the most important takeaways is is do this work yourself you know mm-hmm. as some of it at least bring some awareness to the truth that you have stories about your body and mm-hmm. you know, if you think you're there that's maybe, that should be a, a red flag, perhaps, um, and I love on your website how you say, like, this is really important work, and we acknowledge that we are not the teachers for everybody, right. but, you know, people, there are people out there who can support your real exploration, and um, whether it's these two lovely humans that have spent some time with us today, or someone else, um, this is actually what will make you the caregiver you want to be, and 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 make space in your life for the kind of life that you want to have, so Um, yeah you know bring it to your clients but you got to bring it to yourself first i feel like always yes what else what else should we make sure that our listeners take away you guys any other pearls Mm, i think i dana
5: said it i think if this has been a struggle for you we want you to know that it's not your fault that the systems designed it this way this is it was supposed to play out in your body and um and it was supposed to be hard um and we just want you to know that there's other communities and other options if if this hamster wheel is feeling less than inspiring or or limiting to your fullest expression of yourself um and we always you know it, you might be left feeling a lot of conflicting feelings after listening to us talk about this. And we just invite you to go forward with a lot of curiosity and kindness, knowing that this is a radically different paradigm and um, it takes a while to kind of come home to it for a lot of folks.
2: Yes.
3: If anything else, I'm like trying to think of what else I might want to say, but
2: yeah. Well, I hope some people will find their way to you all and, and get to work with you more directly because uh, it's really just so important to, you know, it, gosh, what will the world look like when we all actually can just be ourselves and love that? And gosh, yeah, we'll have to, we'll have to figure out something else to do with all the time we're spending right now.
3: <laughs>
2: <laughs>
3: right. Yeah. yeah, I mean, we do this work for um, future generations. Definitely. Um, so they don't suffer so there's a generation of kids that don't get indoctrinated by the time they're 10 yeah you know to to really preserve this and in, in a generation of people uh going forward and it's often the birth of a child that makes people go oh crap yeah here comes my lineage
2: yeah
3: don't <laughs> <laughs> oh, look at this my grandma and my you know like it's, oh. so yeah. yes so if you've been curious and your interest has been piqued, stay curious, stay open, and just know we know it's an it's it's a lot to take in if this is the first time and um, that to just continue to
2: investigate. Awesome. Yeah. Thank you guys so much for being with us. We appreciate it.
4: Yes, thank you very much. We really appreciate having lovely people come on this podcast that help us in our process of thinking about and challenging assumptions.
5: Thanks so much for having us. It's been a real pleasure to know you. All right.
1: Thank you for listening to this rerun episode of Interdisciplinary. We will be back with you next week with brand new episodes and some occasional interesting guests and lots of interesting people and conversations. We look forward to having you join us there. Uh, We would love to hear your ideas, your thoughts, your questions, your opinions. You can email us at podcast at healwell.org. Please leave us a review wherever you listen to podcasts. It really helps us out, keeps interdisciplinary going for you and check out our patreon for some super secret squirrel bonus content at patreon.com slash interdisciplinary interdisciplinary is produced by healwell our theme music is by harry pickens new episodes are available weekly through your favorite podcast outlet uh, and you can send us an email at podcast at healwell dot org. That's podcast at healwell dot org. Thanks for listening.
0: If you enjoy interdisciplinary, you should check out Healwell's new show, The Rub, a podcast about massage therapy. You can click the link in the show notes or find The Rub wherever you listen to podcasts. See you there.